0: If you would keep your scriptures open to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke and follow along with me. This is a rich, rich passage. And therefore, I know that I'm not going to be able to even scratch the surface. For those of you who are new here... um, Except for Christmas and Easter, we don't really preach holiday sermons. So if you came for Memorial Day sermon, you'll miss one. But um, suffice it to say that the reason that we can preach in the open like this is because there have been dedicated men and women who have given their lives so that we could have this freedom. We appreciate it. And if the Lord leads, I'll say a little something about courage later on in the message. We have here a disease of the spirit that is not a demonic possession. He did not perform an exorcism. Some woman, when she was young, much younger, and the average age of the lifespan back at this time is 40-some years old, and so 18 years is a significant period of time, and I don't know how old she is, but something probably happened to her when she was a child. Don't forget when you're talking that the time for wounding the time when we are most defenseless, the time when we are most vulnerable is when we're children. We believe everything that's said. When, everyone, when, when people talk with us, we attribute to them potency, great potency. And that especially goes for moms and dads. And so please, please, when you speak to your children, be aware of that. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're getting through unless you're yelling. And I do more than my share of yelling. I need to make a public confession there. But you are. And people, young people, attribute to you a tremendous amount of knowledge to the point of sometimes omnipotence. And they believe what you say with their lives and here was a young girl who was so hurt when she was a child that it had a physical result now you've heard of psychosomatic illnesses and that does not mean that it was all in her head that means that there was something that was said to her that had a physical result you see you cannot isolate any comment to one category of your life when people are in pain there is a natural reaction to redistribute that pain, to not let it lay all in one spot, but to distribute it. And there's, therefore, mental or emotional anguish gets distributed to our spirit, and our spirits get bent, and gets distributed to our bodies, and our bodies get out of shape. Not only that, but it also gets distributed to our memories and to our worldview. There is a very healthy thing going on in the nation right now, and that is the realization that spiritual counsel is not enough. What is needed to get healthy is an accountable process, a support group that will let you continue to work out what has been painfully crippling to you in the past. Now, much of this is taking place in uh, within the purview, within the realm of the ministry of AA, 12-step groups, recognizing that many of us are compulsive about many things, and that is a major disease. That is a major. Um, and to me, if you look at the 12 steps, you don't have to attach the name Jesus to it. It is a process of repentance. I mean, that is a spiritual walk. But what happens is that the healthy thing that happens in this process is people say, you've got to face your pain. You've got to face your pain. You can't run from it. You'll be crippled all of your life until you turn around and say, wait a minute, I'm walking like this. <laughs> I have a life like this. Why do I have a life like this? And you trace it back. Well, part of that tracing back is coming to grips with your past. But part of it is also a redistribution of your pain. You can assign what is your... You know, I have never seen someone who wasn't in very much present pain working very hard at that process. Nobody goes in it for fun, you know. So part of what happens to a person who is very much in pain is that they go back and they redistribute some of it to their past. They say, well, this is where I got this, and it still hurts back there. So that they don't have to bear everything that's happening to them right now in the present. Something that also happens, and I need to caution you here, for those of you who are part of that process, is you, you redistribute it to those around you. Well, if I'm in this much pain, everybody must be in this much pain. And so you begin to look at the world as if it were only painful. And anybody who is happy must be in a state of denial. See, well, they just haven't caught up with how sick they are yet. Got to watch out for that, you know. That is not quite accurate. There is such a thing as a happy relationship. But the very realistic thing is, and we need to be able to say it with our mouths, we have all been hurt. We've all had things said to us that have stung us and will sting us for the rest of our lives. That's what happened to this woman. And she took on such an identity with that herd. Now watch this. If you'll turn to your Bibles, look at this closely. She was bent double. It was an actual physical manifestation of the weight of what had been said to her on her life. And if you look at people who are in pain... They don't, they don't walk like this. You know, they, they kind of hunch over. You know, it lays on them physically. Now, watch. She took on such an identity. Look at your, look at your scriptures that she did not approach Jesus for healing. He had to approach her. In other words, she assumed that she was to be sick that that was her lot in life. She had bought into the fact that I will probably suffer and I will probably be dependent. I will probably not be as good as everybody else for the rest of my life. So much so that she had stopped asking God. Now, you've got to realize the setting of this. This is his Galilean ministry. Healings are taking place right and left. And she pictures herself as so unworthy, she will not ask God anymore. So God comes over to her. Do you know why? Because God doesn't want us to get accustomed to sickness. He doesn't want us to get accustomed to thinking that we are literally what everybody said we were when we were young. Let me show you a scripture. Let me show you two scriptures. First scripture is Psalm 69. In verse 20, this is how we all feel sometimes. And we'd be able to, we need to be able to say this. We need to be able to admit it. Reproach, that's what somebody says about you. And so how somebody comes on to you. And this takes place, I mean, this takes place every day, every day. Becky got to the Ball Diamonds late yesterday because she was trying to clean the house because, you know, the folks were coming over. Not that our house isn't always clean, it's always clean, it's always clean. (laughs) But she put down her shovel long enough to go to the Ball Diamonds and got there a little late and somebody said, you're late. Your your son's game has already started. She said, yeah, I know I'm a little late. No, it started half an hour ago. Where have you been? I mean, here she is walking to the ball diamond, just wanting to watch, and she's getting reproached by a person, and the person would not let go of it. And Becky, you know, of course, nice Becky, I mean, she never says, buzz off, lady, it's my skin. No, she said, oh, golly, well, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize I was that late, you know, and walked in. She was walking in like this. I thought, what is See, reproach comes from all over the place. You know, it is part of what we work with daily if we work in the world. It says, reproach, listen to this, has broken my heart. And I am so sick. That's a generative sickness, by the way. It's distributed into everything. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So while a person naturally looks for some comfort, lots of times what you get is a second volley. See? You try to explain yourself as kind of a request, Hey, give me, a, give me cut me some slack here, and you get a second volley. But is that what you were meant for? Turn to 1 Thessalonians. Underline this verse. First Thessalonians five. Wait a minute, is that it? First Thessalonians five. Ah, there it is, nine. Boy, oh boy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Look at it, read that. Read what that says. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You were not made to walk under wrath. That's not your destiny. Please don't believe that. Please don't ever come to a place in your life. Where you say, I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. That's it. That's my lot. My lot is to be unhappy, so I've got to live with it. You weren't destined for wrath. Underline that verse. Carry it around with you. Memorize it. You were not destined to feel like a worm all the days of your life. I heard a story once about a czar in Russia. This is 100 years ago. And he offered what would be equivalent today to $30,000 a hundred years ago, which would be much more, worth much more back then, for the artist that could paint the best portrait of him, typical czar. A thousand people came and painted as he posed. And then they were hanging them in a museum, in order that the judges may go through and pick out the right one. Well, part of the judge's team was walking through the museum, looking at the portraits being hung. They saw one sitting by, on, uh, leaning against a pillar, and one of the judges commented, you might as well not even hang that up, such a piece of trash. The artist was standing right by him, when he made that comment, and the artist looked at him and he said, "'Sir, I am the artist of that picture, "'and I would ask you for the privilege "'of hanging it in the right light and at the proper distance.'" They gave him the privilege, and it took first place. "'Before you judge the image of your life, talk to the artist.'" Talk to the one who is painting you. Let him put it in the proper light. Let him give it the proper distance. You can't see everything from your perspective right now. Let it have its proper distance. And then watch what happens. There is a sickness that can be made wellness, and that's what God wants for you. There is also a presumed wellness that is really a sickness. This is the bad news. It says this. He laid his hands upon her and immediately she was made erect again. He affirmed her, in other words. Spoke the healing word to her. And that's what God wants to do to you. And if men won't do it, God will. It's got to be spoken by God. Whether it's through people or without people got to be spoken by God, because unless it is, you will not believe it. You will not believe it comes from the essence of how the universe was made. You will just think it's somebody's opinion, and indeed it will be. So it's got to come to you from God. Now listen to this. And the synagogue official, don't you love this? The synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response. Now watch he's not he's not debating with Jesus to chicken he's not looking at the woman doesn't care he is defending his position now watch there is the kind of authority that starts off in the right place God has put it there to benefit people But over a period of time, it becomes institutionalized and it begins to hurt the very people that it was put there to protect. There are ways that begin rightly but deteriorate. Let me say some very hard things to you folks. You're getting used to this by now, aren't you, by the way? (laughs) You go, oh, here it comes. I knew it was coming. Very hard things. Husbands, when God put you with your wife, if you were following Scripture, if you were a Christian at the time, you know that one of your responsibilities was the leadership of the household. I mean not dictatorship, I mean to be interested enough spiritually to really be an aggressive, assertive leader, a provider. A provider. And that's one of the things you did. And that's one of the things you ought to have done. But you know what I see happening in marriages over the years? I see husbands who turn that provision into a prison. They want to control the money. They make little comments about, I earned this money. And I see put-downs of the wives that that says, in essence, uh, without me, you'd be in real trouble, wouldn't you? I don't see affection. I don't see physical contact that says, I love you, I'm attracted to you, you're the neatest thing in my life. I see control. You know what's happened over the years? He has begun to say, if she doesn't need me, she won't love me. I better remind her how much she needs me. And defending his flanks with control. I know that some of you guys treat your dogs better than you treat your wives. If your dog comes in, you'll pet that dog. You say, I love my dog you won't do that same thing with your wife. That's hard to hear, but it's true. Jesus said you treat your animals better than you treat a person. Wives, I know that when some of you got married to your husbands, you figured it was your job to fill in the details. And for years you've rescued the bum. I mean, you have. You've not made him look as stupid as we are. Have you got your lunch, honey? You got two colors of the... Have you got two colors of the socks? Or you got one color of your socks, honey? I've laid out your tie for you. So you don't wear plaid with paisley again, dear. See? And over the years... I mean, that starts off good because they kind of need it. You know, how many of you people feel when you got three kids that you've been raising four? Lots of you. I know you do. I know you do. And over the years, see, what happens is you rescue him so good, he becomes pretty good at what he's doing. And he starts to get strong and he starts to get good at business and then maybe it doesn't look like he needs you quite like he used to need you. And so what happens? Little shots. you know. People come to you and say, Boy, your, your husband's a wonderful businessman. And you give, him, you give him little shots like, Yeah, if he was only as good with the kids. Or, Yeah, if he could only get the garage painted. you know, If he was only as good at home as he is out in the business world. Little shots. What are you doing? You're trying to create an atmosphere in which you don't let him get free so that he will need you because if he doesn't need you, he might not love you. And you're trying to keep him in his place. Just like that synagogue official. If they don't need us to remind us of our rules, they might not love us. That's a lie from the pit. The only way they can love you, really, is if they get free from needing you. Women, you treat your dogs better than you treat your husband. If your dog came in and rolled over, you'd say, what a good dog, what a brilliant dog. When's the last time you looked at your husband and say, how brilliant? You know, you're smart. Huh? All the guys are going. <laughs> Parents, you know, you've been given these kids to raise. And please, please take authority. Your kid does not need another pal. Your kid needs somebody who knows more than they do. They really do. And when you look at them and say, gee, I don't know, what are your friends doing? It scares the bejeebers out of them. This guy's in control? You might frustrate them by training them, but train up a child in the way she should go. It's a command. But you know, there gets to be a time when you got to let them go. And that's a hard thing to do, because they may not need you anymore, and once they go, they may not come back. And so there's always the temptation to go follow them and rescue them and advise them. Always a temptation. Always. And so when the kid comes in and says, "Oh, By the way, Mom, uh, I forgot to tell you, i got a project due tomorrow. You fly into a rage, but then a flurry of activity to rescue the kid. Well, come on, let's go get the supplies. We gotta get a big poster, we gotta... And you turn it in, don't you? And so the kid is rescued and the kid once more has proven, gee, I need mom. But over a period of time, that's gonna turn. When does it come time when a kid comes in and says, I got a project due tomorrow, you look at him and say, Gosh, it looks like you're going to flunk. <laughs> when does it come time? I mean, it's got to come time. It's got to come time. Or you do him no favors. If some of you people worked as much with your plants, I mean, digging the roots up every day, patting in fertilizer, worked as much with your plants as you do with your kids, your plants would die on the spot because they can't take that much attention. They can't. But yet, you appreciate your plants more. I mean, you go out in the backyard. I mean, we do this: go out and look at the flowers, say beautiful flowers. How they grow on their own? Well, they don't. I mean, we weed them and we water them and, and so. But we and you look at your kids. And you're a nervous wreck. You know, you're, are you enjoying your kids? Is this fun? Is it fun yet? <laughs> well, it ought to be sometimes. When you could sit back and say, you know, they're doing stuff on their own. That's really great. But there's always a thing in the back of a parent's mind. Well, if he doesn't need me, he might not love me. And so you keep your kids crippled. And you make them believe that they really can't get along without you. When really they need to. Churches do it. Churches do it. You know, there is a a valid place for the church. God made the church. He instituted the church not institutionalized it. There's a difference. God founded the church, and we need the teaching and the fellowship. And I need to say to you, you can't get everything done on a Sunday morning you need to get done. If you go to church 26 years without making or missing a Sunday, you will still have about a second-grade mentality spiritually. You need teaching beyond Sunday morning because teaching is not the main aspect of why we worship. This is an encouragement time. This is a time when we come back to the foundations, but you will never grow just coming to worship. So even as I sit here, I need to say to you, you need to do more. If you are ever to become spiritually mature, then just come to a worship service. Having said that, though, let me confess that the church is awful when it comes to creating a need only it can answer and putting a guilt trip on people. They devise their theology around needs only those churches can answer. You will have churches that will honestly say to you no of course you cannot be filled with the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. Oh by the way we just happen to teach how to speak in tongues here. See? Kind of like the old protection racket. You know, the gangsters came into town and some bad things happened to the store, and then they walk in and they say, well, for a small fee, we'll protect you from that. Who are they protecting you from? Themselves. That's what churches do. If if you get involved here, you know, you have to be baptized in the right way. Well, of course, we baptize like that here. But if you if you're baptized in the right way, then you're okay. Well, of course, if you're going to be a good Christian, then you've got to be on a committee. If you're going to be a good Christian, then you've got to give at least 10 hours a week to the Lord. And the more hours you give a week to the Lord, the more money you give to the church, of course, the better Christian you are. Come on. It's the protection racket all over again. Churches are gangsters.
1: And they don't mean to be.
0: They don't mean to be. But they're creating the fear so that they can answer it. They are creating something so that They're needed. And there's a whole lot of preachers all over this land that are saying to themselves, if they don't need me, they won't love me. When just the opposite is true. Unless they don't need you. They can't love you. See? When Jesus set that woman free that day, to concentrate on things other than her own pain, other than her own shame, other than her own guilt. He let her be free to love. He let her be free to think about other people. He let her be free to worship God. He let her be free to, to follow Jesus if she wanted to. If she wanted to. He let her be free to go into the temple and concentrate, maybe for the first time in her life, on what they were saying. See? There is something that looks like health that is really a sickness. And there are valid needs. But you've got to discern when they actually help people and when they have stopped helping people and they're helping you. Lastly, There is, let's read the scripture. He said this, and all his opponents were being humiliated. The entire multitude was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by God, by him. Therefore, it says in my scriptures, therefore, he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? There is a decision that we have to make in life. And the decision is, when do I step out on my own? I am going to decide to cut other people some slack and believe that they did the best for me that they could. And when they meant to hurt me, they were just working out some of their own insecurities. I'm going to take the risk and believe that because I really can't deal with them can't deal with their problems. Those those are their problems. And really the only way I can let that go is to cut it off and say, you know, there were some sick cookies. But now what? Now what? And Jesus is saying here, you know what? There is something inside of you that is preset. I mean, I put it there. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And when you decide that instead of needing people, you're going to need God, there is something absolutely undeniable that happens. There is a growth process that you can't stop. Any more than you can take a piece of leaven out of a piece of dough and stop the fermentation. Once that leaven is in there, it takes off. It takes off. Any more than, unless you can find the seed, you can just say, don't come up. Because it's going to come up. And what Jesus is saying here is, you can choose courage. You can come out, no matter how badly you've been hurt, you can choose courage. No matter how much you have believed people when they said you were stupid, when they said you were clumsy, when they said you were bad, when they said the world would be better without you in their various ways, no matter how much you believed them, you can believe God more. And once you believe God more, nothing is going to stop the process of your growth. You can grow into the greatest of all trees so that the birds of the air may nest in your branches. You don't do it for yourself. You do it for others. You do it for others. Yeah, you do it for yourself in such that you want to become a healthy person. Everybody wants to be healthy. But the bottom line is, you are there for others. Bread does not exist to itself. It exists to be used. It exists to consume. And so Scripture would say to us, (coughs) pardon me, that God wants you to believe Him. Let me just turn to a couple of scriptures with you. Hebrews 12, starting with verse 10, says this. It's talking about earthly fathers here. Ah, rats. I'm out of time again. It always happens. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Look at that word, as seemed best to them they did it within their own limitations. You've got to cut people slack. But listen to this. But He disciplines us for our good. There is no discipline that we can go through with God that will not ultimately end up in our good. That we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been raised, trained by it, afterwards It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight the paths for your feet, so that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Let me say two things to you. First of all, there are a whole lot of us who have been hurt in the past. And we need a kind word every once in a while. Do that. Strengthen the hands that are feeble and the knees that are weak. A kind word will offset some of the garbage that has been loaded. Secondly, believe God about who you are instead of everybody else. Would you please? Yes, there are disciplines that even God will put you through. But it's because He knows the result of courage and He destines you for greatness and for leadership, for overcoming instead of just for mediocre getting through it all. I had a coach in football. His name was Bill Varble. And he yelled at us more than... I mean, he would pick out the kids... Who had some athletic ability and he would cream them all year long. And some of you say, well, that's not necessary, and probably not, but that was his way. Got to cut him some slack. He was disciplined as seemed good to him. The people who did not have very much of athletic ability, he wouldn't say anything to. But the ones who had a lot, he really kept on them. All of us learned in our graduating year that Bill Varble who was a star football player in college, had polio when he was a little boy. And he worked for hours every day to overcome that. And he became a leader in the community and a wonderful coach. He turned out kid after kid of character because he had exercised courage as to what he was going to become. You can imagine the things that were said to him back at that day when he was young because he had polio but he overcame it. And he wanted us to overcome whatever blocks we had in our way because they probably weren't as bad as polio. I mean, that's probably what he was thinking. Well, God sees the same thing when he sees you and puts you through the discipline that you are now going through. And some of you are. You're going through some real disciplined times. But it's because he sees greatness in you and he wants to pull them out. It is for your training. So courage courage here. Believe God and let Him, let Him pull you to greatness because that's what He has in store for you. Pray with me. God, we've got so much garbage but you've got such a big truck. (laughs) Help us to just load it in and to listen to what is truth about who you made us to be. You know us better than anybody, and you have loved us. Help us love others. Help us forgive. Help us realize the courage that it's going to take to get well. And then help us to help others. We pray in Jesus' name.